Welcome, dear listener, to Weekend at Crombies, Volume 6, Episode 2. And tonight, we will be reviewing Hobson's Choice. My name is Dr. James Evans Esquire. Protest, but kiss. And I'm Hugh, and I'll tell you this. If you want your Freddy and you want your Albert, you'll be respectful to my Willie. <laughs> Very good. There are, um, well, we're doing Hobson's Choice this evening. There are an almost infinite number of quotes that could have been chosen <laughs> um, for the introductory uh, section of this. So uh, I think we went for ones that are perhaps, you know, slightly bit under the radar a little bit. Um, there's, you know, uh, most of them are said by Charles Lawton in this as well. But yes, it's it's Hobson's Choice. It's volume two. Here we are back in, um, I was going to say back in the USSR then, but that's a... Uh, is that a, we're, still, uh, we're, we're still in the past. We've gone further back in the past. We have actually, haven't we? We were in the sixties. Now in the fifties. Yeah, I wonder if this is the first time we've, we've done that. Um, obviously, we have done a fifties film before in um, the Court Jester, but um, here we are anyway. Um, probably about as far away from the Court Jester as you can imagine. Um, in in the late nineteenth century in Salford. I'm going to hand it over to you, Hugh, because the, the plot isn't particularly complicated, but there's a lot going on, isn't there? It's not that complicated, but I imagine you could still stretch it out for 40 minutes if we if we let you have free reign with it. So it's, uh, we should put out, this is, the, again, the David Lee 1954 Hobson's oh, Choice. It's, course, been, it's, yeah. it's, it's an original it's play. It's been done a few times, hasn't it? Yeah, but, yeah been done a few times. But yeah, so we're, um, we're in uh, Salford in the, the late 19th century. The uh, the protagonist is Henry Hobson. He's a, he's a bootmaker, boot quite maker, a respectful he? one. He's, 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 yeah. He owns the shop, and it's a fairly nice shop. And he's well, got... I wouldn't call him respectful. He's respected, isn't he? He's respect. Sorry, respectable. He's not respectable. Yeah, oh yeah. At all. So, yeah. so he, he, we first see him. He rolls in drunk and quite a merry drunk. He's kind of his his eldest daughter Maggie. He lives with his three daughters. And his yeah. wife's dead. Um, his eldest daughter Maggie kind of scolds him and sends him to bed. Um, this but, is at uh, one we, o'clock in the morning. What I quite yeah. liked about this is that normally, you know, in, in the, these kind of films, you know, made in the fifties, set in the nineteenth century, it would be half past nine. But look, this is one o'clock, and he's steaming. Yeah. He is, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, is this the point where he manages to? fall upstairs he, uh, he, he, says, <laughs> he takes a practiced run at going up the stairs knowing that if he misses a beat he'll be on his ass so yeah. he, kind of, like, he must uh, fall his way all the way up the stairs and go to bed um but this sets up again so henry hobson is running a boot makers in a um again he's a sort of a it's well little, to do he's, 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 he's well to do yeah well yeah. to do yeah he's he's, he's he's got a bit of brass in his pocket and he's a he's, he's a and, um, aspirational working class or lower middle class you might say oh no i'd, I'd say he's no he's definitely the, he's burgeoning middle class oh um, okay well there we go because yeah. we'll, we'll certainly see the class differences going yeah, on here. anyway so he yeah. he he's because he, he is boot maker to the gentry as well um so oh, he's he's he is, he? yeah. but um yeah so uh so he's got three daughters, uh, Maggie, Alice and Mickey, all of which are in between guess, 20 and 30. So they're all grown up. Um, his yeah. wife's dead. So basically the, the, the girls are running the show. They, they mind the shop and they serve the customers and they kind of they cook and clean all this kind of stuff for him. Um, but uh, the two youngest daughters, so Alice and Vicky, have got suitors kind of um, nosing around already. There's a, a Albert Prosser, who's a solicitor, and, and Freddie Beanstock, who's I think, um, like a he temper- deals in... it's temperance, he's, isn't he? He's part of the temperance yeah, he, we... movement. Him and his dad are corn merchants, but they're they're, they're big yeah. on temperance. Uh, yeah. Temperance is a thing that comes into this too. The temperance being, you know, abstaining alcohol. Um, yeah. But uh, 
So anyway, Hobson is. Um, but he's also he, he's he, quite dismissive of Maggie as well, isn't he? In terms he's dismissive of all, yeah, he's dismissive he's over of the, all his she's over the hill really at thirty. Yeah, but he's dismissive of everybody, and he likes to throw his rate around amongst his daughters. So he's kind of like, you know, um, you know, he he wakes up late after boozing. He's off to the local pub for his lunchtime drink and all this kind of stuff. He'll he'll tell he, you know, he he helps himself to the tail. He tells his girls what's what and all this kind of stuff. Um, and he's decided, you know, he's basically got too many women in the house, so he's going to get a couple of them married off. Um, which is again, he'd prefer Alice and Vicky to go. And he says, yeah, his eldest daughter Maggie. Um, played by what, Brenda Demanzi. Yeah. Um, he said basically she's 30, she's too old, no one will want her. He's 30 and shelved. shelved. 30 and shelved. Um, <laughs> his actual motivation is she's basically too useful to him as a housekeeper and a cook <laughs> yeah. to get rid of. Obviously, um, he doesn't pay her either, or any of them. They, I'm not so fool as to pay me <laughs> own family. Uh, and and we'll, we'll, come, we'll, uh, we'll come to the accents. The, the Salford accents. We should mention he's getting one of his um, youngest daughters is Prunella Scales. Which yeah, looking very think, young. Well, thinking he's in the 50s. My God, how long has she been in the business? Um, well, she's 89, but, isn't she now? So. Yeah, but so, hey, she's 99 in this. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, she's... um. So, yeah, the... Uh, where is it? So, he's... He's um, thrown his weight around and, yeah, he, he basically uh, has decided he'll get rid of his, his two youngest daughters and keep Maggie on. But Maggie, again, immediately when she hears that marriages are going around, isn't crazy with the idea that she's just going to be kept along as a, a free housekeeper and help and kind of and starts get her brain to start working. Maggie is by far the smartest of the three daughters. She's oh, yeah. the one that's running the shop. I someone she's kind the of, smartest yeah. in the whole film, isn't she? Yeah. So someone <laughs> she, so much she just pokes a toe in the doing. shop. And she'll yeah, sell exactly. him a pair of boots. This is the it's like yeah, yeah. So she's running the shop like this. Um, well, I also like the fact. I also like the fact that Hobson, he, he's he's keen to sell off his daughters until he realizes that he has to he has to pay a five hundred pound settlement. Um, settlement. <laughs> the talk of settlement. So he goes to his, his local pub, the Moonraker, and he's, he's talking <laughs> to his drunken mates, and they say, "You like basically you got to give dowries, and it's like yeah. hundred pound." He's like, "What? I got to pay to get rid of them? Um, <laughs> no, they're gonna stay here forever." Yeah, so uh, he comes back and breaks the bad news to the daughters who aren't too happy. Like I said, two of them have got suitors they're hoping to marry. Um, and and this is a point where kind of things are stirred up. Is that a very well-to-do uh, lady comes in who buys her boots from Hobson and basically doesn't give anything away, but just says, who made these boots? And he's like, oh, is there a problem? Is there a problem? So he, this is where I completely... It won't happen again. It won't happen again. She says, what won't? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So Hobson kind of stamps on the floor and a trap door, which nobody was there, opens up. And like, kind of like people in steerage. So like these, so Hobson's middle class, the working class people have, they've got aprons yeah. and they, they've got yeah. no collars to their shirts. An older one, Tuppy, um, pops his head up and it's like, did you make this boot? No. And who made this boot? Well, it was Willie. Uh, so, so he pops down, that pops another head. Um, again, a very young John Mills yeah. um, is, is playing this. Who's, who's, the best way to describe him is if Forrest Gump made boots. Um, <laughs> And came from Salford, he'd be willing. <laughs> look, he, look, he develops, doesn't he, in the film? He de- he's saying that, but, it, but he is a very simple man with simple taste <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, about an incredible talent at making boots. So he's a great, he's the finest boot maker in Lancashire. So the lady basically he's a, he's says... A, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an idiot savant, isn't he, in many ways? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because basically the lady says, you'll make, you make boots from now on. You don't make, if yeah. you go from this shop, um, you tell me, because you are always going to make my boots. You make the best boots I've ever seen. And hands him a card, which he, of course, can't read. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so he's upside he just, down. Yeah, and then he lowers himself back down into the into steerage to continue yeah. making his boots, and the lady walks off. But this kind of sets off a, a thought in Maggie's head. So, while um, again, while Hobson is now off to to carry on drinking in the evening, and they're shutting up shop, Maggie basically summons Willie into the, the back room and says, uh, basically, yeah, uh, you'll you'll be wed I'm, to me. I'm going <laughs> to marry you. Yeah. yeah. Is that what? Because <laughs> you'll be married to me. What? What? Um, she basically. <laughs> 
spells it out that you know his 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 talent for making boots combined with her talent for selling boots is what mm. they need yeah. um yeah and she's and, like you know what... we don't need we don't need to be in love we don't need to romance this is a good arrangement yeah and she yeah uh, maggie is incredibly practical and hard-nosed and not yeah. really romantic i think she'd like to think that um he should be loving it but willie is ended no she goes look i don't love you and this yeah, kind of she, goes, she goes it doesn't matter uh, yeah, she really, she really just steamrolling Willie, saying, "Doesn't matter. Shut up. Stop, stop yeah, arguing." Yeah. But he's, 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 got, he's already got someone, hasn't he? Yeah, she, she does have to take me for a stroll on Sunday. You know, we'll read the bands, and in three weeks, boom, we'll get them. Um, so, so as as they're having their little um, stroll, he, he says, "You know, the, the the lady he lodges with, her daughter, he's a bit sweet on." So Maggie just storms off and deals with it. Just says, "You're not anymore." Yeah, it's one <laughs> of the best is... scenes because there's a scene where where he's uh, he's 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 listening from outside the room to Maggie yeah. talking about the fact that he's a you know he's a gentleman or, or he, you know he's got a real talent he's a good egg and he's he looks he's dreaming and suddenly <laughs> this woman slaps him around the face and he yeah. comes doing it's her mum yeah so basically this, this is where we um so having now seen you know the the lady who has her boots made by him that's mm. upper social strata we now go yeah. down the social yeah. strata into this because this, this is now we realize because of course this is set in the late 19th century it's hard to gauge wealth because you know Hobson is still like sleeping in a you know a bed with the sheets on it and lighting candles yeah. like is he rich yeah. is he not but now we can tell oh he is he's he's well to do because further down you've got people there's like it's proper back alley stuff and um, yeah, it, like, yeah it's, like it's the, tenement it's tenement the, arrangements isn't yeah, it the, the landlady is kind of washerwoman the the yeah. poor girl who i think would have made quite a nice match for willie is kind of like sitting there in kind of rags and basically saying um you know those two are agreed to be where maggie says no they're not it's over and you're right as she she sends willie out so they can sort it out without him uh and and it's like but this, this, I think this is the first spark that Willie has. He's basically just saying he's got an incredible talent for making boots. He's got a future. I'm going to see him have that future. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and he's listening, thinking, wow, do I have something? Am, 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 I, am I worth something? Yeah. And that's it's the first time he thinks maybe I am rather than just, you know, the, um, the person who works for, for pennies in Hobson's yeah. cellar. For, for the rest of his life. Yeah. So that's so things continue. And basically Maggie steamballs it. She uh, she. I think she's at this point she she breaks the news to Hobson um that this is gonna happen. Yeah, and well, he's again, not when, happy, is he? But Willie actually again stands up for himself a little yeah, bit because Bob's Hobson's decided, you know, the best way to do this is to take my belt off and threaten to beat Willie until he well, gives he does, up he on Maggie. Him. Well he, he does when Willie says, If you hit me, I'll leave and he thrashes yeah. him because if you hit me, I'm leaving and I'm taking Maggie. He thrashes him again. So now yeah. Willie and Maggie leave Hobson's um shop. They manage to go to this this rich lady who likes the boots and and get a a hundred pounds loan offer to start the business. They'll so pay they, back um, they'll pay back in one year with a twenty yeah. percent interest. Yeah. Uh, so they they basically they set they, they find a seller which they, they get basically with with a bit of elbow grease and hard work, they turn Oof, around in one day. <laughs> yeah, we're opening tomorrow. We're not going to waste time. Uh, and again, you, you get this is quite a nice touch because Maggie is like you know, a, a whirlwind going through this. Yeah, she's getting she like you know, Welsh dresses yeah. and, and sheets. Yeah. But then you get you get a shot of Willie kind of handling a piece of leather, and he like yeah. he's testing it. Like he knows he knows, he knows what he's doing. Too. Like yeah. yeah. So he's sort they've of both got too. their so roles, haven't they? Yeah. Um, so Hobson again is is back to his pub, um, slinging back booze. Um, and I think at this point he insults all his friends because yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's not a he's not a happy drunk. He's a nasty drunk. He is, um, yeah. And he kind of and then he chases wanders the off moon. into the streets, chases the moon. He sees the moon in puddles, which he chases. And it's a very long scene of Hobson wandering around the puddles <laughs> drunk until he finds uh, an open trap door by um, the, again, the corn makers, the temperance people. And he by, really <laughs> tries hard to fall in this trap door because <laughs> there's like chains in the way and everything. Yeah, you have to, I think this scene must have gone on for about 10 minutes. Yeah, so he <laughs> eventually tumbles into it. It looks like he's yeah. falling into hell because he goes a long yeah. way down. You think he, I'd wonder if he was dead, but um, no, he, he, had, he had a soft landing. <laughs> Snoring. On the yeah. So um, 
Well, one of the corn makers is the young man who's, who's sweet on um, Maggie's sister to marry. So he runs off and says, you know, given that Maggie knows what to do. And this is now Maggie's wedding day because things yeah. have sped on a pace. He says, Maggie, what, what can I do? You know, your father's drunk in the thing. And she goes, OK, do this. I've so got Hobson an idea. Is, yeah, so Hobson is helped out of the uh, the corn thing and then served like a, a, a writ um, saying, you know, you, you're being sued for trespass and criminal damage in this corn place. Um, yeah. Hobson is, yeah, so Hobson is, is worried of several things. So the, the marriage has been had now. So um, yeah. everyone's Maggie's back round to theirs, you know, uh, yeah, Alice, yeah, so Matt, um, Vicky. Alice, Alice, Vicky and their, their, their boyfriends have come over. They came, they attended the marriage. Like she says, you're best man. You're your witness. <laughs> come on, let's yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. She's saying, you know, be, be respectful, you know, because I'm clearly in charge of this family. Yeah. So when they're, they're all having their their, their wedding supper um, and Hobson is coming round, basically panicking because A, he'll have to pay a solicitor and B, his good name will be ruined. And he is, he's smart enough to know that his good name brings in a lot of business. Yeah. Um, he's, he's like, he won't be just in the Salford Gazette. It'll be all over the yeah, Manchester It won't Gazette. be the Manchester Report, so that's where it'll be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, yeah, so basically... Yeah, Maggie has, has maneuvered Hobson into a state of panic. He's uh, he's then forced to accept Willie as his son-in-law, and then uh, he brings well, out. They do the five hundred. They, they agree that the to he agrees to pay five hundred pounds out of court, doesn't he? But of course, that's effectively the settlement that he then gives to <laughs> Alice and Vicky. Yes, because they, they wheel out. They wheel out. They wheel out Prosser, who's the, the, the um, Alice's boyfriend in yeah. Stock, who's Vicky's, and you know, they represent the plaintiff and the solicitor. He say, agrees to pay five hundred pounds, and he's suddenly paid their settlements. So all his daughters are married. Yeah, he's been diddled. I've been diddled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, I suppose we get yeah we'll we'll end on the again the, the wedding night so when uh, Willie's very nervous because this, this now all yeah, everyone's gone he? home Willie's like yeah. you have to go home it's like you've had your wedding night well, I'd really like it if you stay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then once again we get a very long sequence of a very yeah. nervous John Mills changing out of his clothes into his, his nightgown um, well, I did wonder where it was taking going out of his clothes and you, you think he's wearing this really posh suit and he's not he's just yeah. got a jacket on with some and a dicky. <laughs> some cuffs and he's wearing a really tatty shirt underneath it it's yeah. quite funny Basically, yeah but again I, I'm wondering you know how far this strip he's going I thought is he going to end up like personal best here <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh, no. but he's, like, oh, he's, he's so very, weird he's, 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 he's very nervous but he's led Maggie by... to go to the toilet for him oh, yeah. Maggie I'm a bit nervous him. can you hold my penis while I go to the toilet <laughs> I'll tell you what anyway. it's pretty progressive for the 50s <laughs> 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 but anyway they have they have their wedding night and again but a, a new man the you know he's um he's all like oh by gum and he's uh and they they sell their well, the first business has been successful hasn't it it's a year later so we speed yeah. on a year and they've they've made their money back they've made their money back they've yeah. paid off the loan plus interest they've they're, they're free they start the new year with you know a clean sheet and all this kind of stuff um it was an interesting point this actually is yeah because um Willie comes back and saying, I've got a surprise for you. I've paid off the loan. And Maggie's like, oh, I thought I handled the business. And it's yeah. almost a point where you think, you know, has, has he gone too far now? Is, yeah. is, is like, but nothing's made of it. But it seemed like a moment when you think, you know, surely Maggie is, is the entrepreneur. She, here, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so then in the meantime, again, the other daughters have left and got married. But Hobson has basically been drinking himself into an oblivion. And then Hobson has a kind of an alcoholic fugue state, which <laughs> culminates with him envisioning a... Only describe as a, a, rat, a huge rat, a, a man-sized rat, or a person in a man-sized rat costume, <laughs> with just the he's got on the edge of his bed, like he the, the like winking at him, isn't he? He looks really casual. Just, 
It's hideous. He's like Stafford, right? He's got these really long paws, and his his fur is like you know like teddy bear fur from the fifties, obviously. Um, and he's <laughs> so threadbare, and he's yeah. just and so this rat at the end of his bed staring at him. And it's that's very, why it's like Donnie Darko. It's like yeah, this it, it was, kind it, of it's creepy... exactly what I was thinking as well. It's a bit like yeah. it, it, it. It's an example of the special effects being so poor that it yeah. just looks terrifying. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Um, <laughs> This is meant to represent that Hobson is basically suffering from the last stages of alcoholism. Yeah. Um, so he, he's got he, six he, months yeah. to live, hasn't he? He collapses, and his doctor, uh, played by John Laurie, um, yeah. in, in the final. We're film, all doomed. Um, <laughs> it did remind me that John Laurie was actually, you know, he was a good actor before yeah. he got this because his his favorite anecdote in Dad's Army was like, "I've played Shakespeare, I've played yeah, the finest things, and I finally make my fame and fortune on this crap." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the. Uh, so the the doc tells him, yeah, you're in alcoholism and you you need a, you need a woman to to look after you. And he's got, I mean, daughters are red. My wife's dead. I must say, in earlier stages, Hobson's chuckling a lot by the fact his wife's dead. Like, <laughs> he does not hold his his poor wife in any kind of reverence. Well, he doesn't um, hold any of them in any reverence, really, does he? He, 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 yeah. he? What is it? There's a there's a distinct increase in uppishness in this house. Yeah. <laughs> he's quite the misanthrope. <laughs> he um, really is. And so basically, he tells him, yeah, you're an alcoholic. You've got six months to live. Um, um, I'll have you. <laughs> I can have you committed if you don't stop because yeah. any sane man would stop drinking therefore you're not sane it's like yeah. oh this is quite intervention he's like, you're not, man, we're not allowed a simple libation refreshment because <laughs> uh, he hops basically knocks back half pints of hard liquor yeah. as you know as a starter um i mean i've but, never seen so much harumphing in a film than charles lawton <laughs> does in this so anyway, so the, the, the doc kind of summons in Vicky, who uh, basically leverages the whole situation to say, you know, um, we'll move in. You know, we and Willie will move in as partners to your shop, you know, yeah. um, and and Willie will. We, I know Willie's like, I will go. You'll be, you'll be a silent partner. I will, my name will be first on the sign. Yeah. And even at this point, Maggie goes, that's too far. Willie goes, no, it's why I want this. And Maggie's like. Once you know, once they've all agreed, um, Maggie is like, "Oh God, you you were you were so you know brave and strong there." And like, Willie was like, yeah. I, "I did it because you inspired me, Maggie." Um, and they were gonna. It ends with again on Maggie and, and Willie, and now back in Hobson's shop, which is now Willie and Maggie's shop. Yeah. Uh, saying you know we'll we'll exchange because Maggie had bought the cheapest brass ring for her wedding. Yeah, I like this. Scene, nothing. Yeah. And he's like, "I'll I'll get that brass ring. I'll get you a gold one." She goes, "No, let's keep it because when we're rich, I'll always look at it and I'll keep me humble." Yeah. yeah, it's lovely that that final scene. Very nice. And there we go, and, and with that are. ends Hobson's choice. And as we can, as as the, the same imagines, um, Hobson's choice. Henry Hobson had no say whatsoever in any of this. Yeah, <laughs> His entire choice is a series of take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Better to have something than nothing. Yeah. In the end, um, very and good. That ends Hobson's choice. Very good. Very good. Um, yeah. Well, we will um, we will take a break now. We will. Um, I've got some leather to shine well that's not even a it's not a quip is it yeah we shall leave you to take your natural libation (laughs) you sound a bit like alan titchmarsh (laughs) (laughs) um yes and uh we'll we'll come back why did why did i choose the film and a little bit of analysis of it too Welcome back, dear listener. Uh, well, Q rattled through Hobson's choice there. Uh, v- very nicely done. I do think that our Western year last year, oh no, it was our Christmas episodes, wasn't it? Really, he- it really helped us hone down the um, 
the excessive plotting of films. Well, I think uh, I think it helps that Hobson's choice is not quite you know the. Uh, the it's quite a simple it. plot, is it? Yeah, it's quite a simple plot. Um, so I mean, I mean, I, f- I feel odd because I'm asking myself a question here, which makes me think that we've got this the wrong way around, and you should be interested <laughs> in the second part. But nevertheless, James, tell us a little bit about why you chose Hobson's choice. <laughs> It's been a while since we've done a standard um, year of Weekend at Comedy, so we might have lost a little bit of the um, the planning, I suppose, really. Um, but let me tell you, because I can was. sense that's what you're thinking. Um, <laughs> so, Hobson's Choice is... So, this is... Um, I mean, there's a there's a nostalgic element to this, I guess, really, and this is where it comes down to talking about one's family and parents and all this kind of stuff as well. Um, so... Um, there's a couple of reasons why I chose Hobson's Choice particularly. First of all, um, the main reason actually was because um, this is a David Lean film um, and near three years after Hobson's Choice, David Lean started his run of epics, um, Bridge Over the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago, three of the most lauded films in the history of cinema, I guess, um, yeah. and, and what a run of films they were. I mean, collectively, that's about 35 hours of actually sitting down and watching a film, <laughs> as it were. And, and, they're, and they're all rightly lauded, I guess, really. Absolutely, yeah. Rightly lauded. Um, and I think that part of Dave... When, when someone talks about David Lean, they talk about the epics that he has done. They talk about those three films specifically. And I think as a consequence of that, some of his other films get a little bit shunted to one side. Um, and I think Hobson's Choice is an, is an example of, of one that, that has been shunted to one side a little bit. Um, adding to that, um, my dad is a huge David Lean fan. Um, and Hobson's Choice is one of his favourite films. And I had not seen it um, until weekend the crombies uh, so i thought this might be an opportunity for me to rectify that glaring gap in my film watching oeuvre i guess really given that my dad bangs on about hobson's choice quite a lot both the play and this particular version of the play the filmed version of the play itself and the, the reason why he talks about hobson's choice quite a lot he talks about hobson's choice in the same way that he talks about great expectations and blithe spirit two other david lean films um, okay. of of a similar era, but which are not epics and are very small scale in their construction and timing and all of this kind of stuff. And the reason why he say talks... Blythe, Blythe Spirit? Blythe Spirit, I'd say, is like an epic comedy. Well, yeah, sure. But I think it's... It, it's I think I think Blythe Spirit is a cosmic film in many ways. It's, it's, a, it's yeah, a fantasy yeah. film, but it is, it's not of the scale... Of no, it's not. There's no, there's no Doctor Zhivago. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. Um, uh, but uh, but uh, I, my dad talks about Hobson's Choice particularly as an example of what makes David Lean such a great director for him. Okay, yeah. and he he often describes this the, this concept of the great directors, the great directors of all time. Okay, and what the great directors of all time have in their pocket, I guess, really, is not only the ability to make judgments and pass huge statements about the nature of humanity and how the human kind of scale, as it were, the, 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 the context and the environments that we have made our mark on Earth, as in Lawrence of Arabia or Dr. Zhivago, but more importantly, that that same sentiment can be applied to the small epics, those epics of 
social um, and class structures, those epics of um, interpersonal relationships, those small epics of individual change and development through action and through adaptation to one's environment. And that sounds quite grand. He doesn't quite explain it like that, but that's how I, that's the image I get. And he's, the reason why he rates David Lean so highly is because he he believes that films like Hobson's Choice, Great Expectations and Blythe Spirit are the definitive David Lean films, which hone the humanity of his bigger epics, which get all of the credits. Now, that isn't saying that my father is dismissive of those epics. They are some of the greatest films ever made. But David Lean can do both and he can do both equally. And I think that's a really interesting view on a film like Hobson's Choice, which is effectively set in a small industrial town in the 19th century. It was filmed on four sets. There isn't a huge amount of external or outdoor filming in this. It's pretty much internally done. And yet the characters in the film, this isn't me speaking, I'll give my view of the film as we go through, but the characters in the film are able to present actions and adaptations and endeavours that break through their structures, their frameworks, as it were, in an equally impressive way uh, than um, the prisoners of war do in Bridge Over the River Kwai or the way that Peter O'Toole in his expansive vista does or the, the Russian revolution, all this kind of stuff, right? They're, they're equally impressive and equally important. That, for me, having not seen Hobson's Choice, having it being one of perhaps David Lean's more forgotten films, I think it was, wor it was interesting for me to, to think about this in a weekend at Crombie's context. Very good. Wow. OK, then. Uh, would you like to begin then uh, with what you thought of Hobson's Choice? Um, so that I, I'm, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with. Um, I'm going to start with. Oh, there is another reason why I chose Hobson's Choice as well. OK, OK. I bloody love Charles Lawton. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've seen I haven't seen a lot of Charles Lawton films, but the Charles Lawton films I have seen, I've tended to enjoy in particular witness for the prosecution which i think is one of the greatest films ever made and his performance in that is one of the great performances as well so if you haven't seen witness for the prosecution check it out it's absolutely bloody brilliant so that, that's worth it uh, and you know obviously you've got um um the hunchback of notre dame and you've got jamaica in and all these ones as well so you know he's a he's a behemoth really i guess of british um, acting aristocracy, I suppose. He is, regard. he is, yeah, he's, but not just that, he is often in the list of like top 10 movie stars, you know, the best movie actors. He's, he's, you know, Daniel Day Lewis says he's his favourite actor. Like, yeah. like he's, he's, he's an actor's actor, I think. He's an actor's actor, he's, isn't he? He's yeah. very much lauded. I will, I will, again, full disclosure here. I don't think I've seen very much of Charles Lawton, and I don't think what I've seen has been his best. Um, okay. Yeah. I, so, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm operating from the point of view of, Everyone has told me he's great. I'm, I'm trying. Cause I've seen Spartacus, but he was very old in Spartacus when he was, he was oh, coming he, to the, yeah. the, the tail end of yeah. his career. Um, yeah. I've seen, I've seen. He was I've seen Meet on the Bounty, where you know he was second <laughs> yeah. best captain yeah. fly yeah. Yeah. ever yeah. to be. To be but, um, <laughs> but again, I haven't seen the Witness of the Prosecution. I've seen a lot of the films where he is being given kind of his his due. So I'm, I'm leaving that there. Is the fact that I 
I haven't seen what other people have seen, but I'm certainly having an open mind because a lot of people think he's absolutely fantastic. And you can tell yeah. he, so to me, what what I've seen so far of him basically is I think I'm watching a very good theatric theater actor who's been <laughs> yeah. put on, on film because on I'm, film, sure, yeah. I'm sure he made his bones in on the, in the stage, but he's a, he's a theater actor that did movies as well. He's not, he didn't begin as a movie actor. And I think this is perhaps where Hobson's choice is an interesting role because this is a theatre production, isn't it? I mean, this is this yeah, is this is like, this is a filmed stage play in many ways. It's slightly more yes. expansive than that, I guess, really. But that that kind of theatrical there's, there's nothing here works well. Yeah, it yeah. wouldn't have worked on stage, and no. the, the, the the stage script differs very little from the, the film script. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say about Hobson's choice is, um, personally, I, I I found myself quite tired at the end of the film because I was laughing a lot probably I was laughing I, I, I almost didn't stop laughing throughout the whole film now that doesn't necessarily mean that I think the film is one of the most exceptional comedies I've ever seen in my life but there's a lot in the film which I think is really if you listen to the script and you listen to the way that I think Charles Lawton presents Hobson particularly it is it is inherently humor humorous and he is often the butt of the joke in many ways he is the he is he is where the humor lies i guess really and i think that's a that's a positive thing and i think that's also a little bit of a challenge in the film as well because from a positive point of view i think he is he is all over this film he is such a giant in this film but i think there's two films in this there's hobson as the person the figure um and then there is the romance between Maggie, um, between Maggie and um, William Mossop, which is a much quieter um, kind of plot and script element, and I, I think is is a really well developed and a really well kind of structured and presented process. So I'm not sure that the two aspects of it, the bombastic arumphing of Charles Lawton, and the and the burgeoning romance and growth of the relationship and the individuals that are Maggie and William they're clashing a little bit in the film, I guess, really. Now, I have to say, I enjoyed both a lot, but there are times when when Charles Lawton came back on the screen when he'd not been on it for a while, I kind of had to kind of wind myself up a little bit with his affectations and his um, verboseness uh, you know, and his enunciations and all this kind of stuff. And whilst I'm listening to it, I'm listening to an absolute master at play in that word play and that kind of physical comedy, I guess, really. But at the end of it, I'm going, blimey, that's really tiring. <laughs> you know, it's really tiring <laughs> watching Charles Lawton do Charles Lawton as Hobson in this film. It's tiring. It's incredibly funny. And when I'm watching it, I'm not really bothered by it. But when it goes to the quieter elements with John Mills and Brenda DeBanzi, I actually think in the end, I probably preferred that more than Charles Lawton. And that's perhaps a bit of a challenge because Charles Lawton is the star of the film. Although I don't yeah. think he is the most valuable player in this. I think that's Brenda DeBanzi, who's Maggie, I think is a yeah. brilliant character. And yeah. I think that's great. The other thing that I think, so I'm not sure that's a good or a bad thing. That's just a something that I felt whilst watching the film. Um, I think the film is surprisingly progressive about class and about gender, particularly- oh, interestingly. Well, yeah, I, I do. I think it's because, because I think I think um, William and Maggie are able to they are able to in some way break that 
structure. I don't think it's complete because I yeah. don't think it, you know, it's made in 1954. And I don't think it was um, in the time that the actual stage play was made. I don't think it was possible to envisage that necessarily. But I do think there is an element now. I think for the time it's quite progressive or for me, it felt surprisingly progressive in that. And in the gender relationships as well, because Brenda DeBanzi has a very strong agency in the film um, and I was slightly worried, you may think differently, I was slightly worried at the start of the film that this would be slightly, I know that Hobson is a misanthrope in this and he's a misogynist in this as well, in many ways. And yeah. I was wondering whether the film would tip into misogyny itself. Yeah. And actually, I don't think it does because I think Hobson himself is the butt of much of the derision and the of the film. And it's yeah. not, it's not Maggie, it's not, um, the daughters necessarily, although they, you know, they had, there's a little bit of them of, of that in there, but I think in, in principle, yeah. the men in this film are, yeah. they, they, they are the weak characters in many ways. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Maggie who's the strong character. And so I think that's quite a progressive element because she yeah. has agency and makes decisions herself. So those are well, the two kind of big yeah. things I wanted to mention. Yeah, so I thought on the progressive actually. Um, when I say, I think I agree with you on many points. Again, Maggie again is the strongest and most um, energetic character in the mm. movie. She's the one that drives the whole thing through. Um, in terms of its its social progression, I immediately looked at when this was made as a play, and also when the play Pygmalion was made because I thought I was watching. Oh yeah, thinking, okay. Similar. Is, yeah, like, you're right. This is reverse Pygmalion because mm, Maggie doesn't just get um, William Moss up; she educates him too. She's teaching him as every yeah. night he does, yeah. he does a sentence. Um, you can tell a year later he's got that kind of long that peaky blinders haircut to begin with yeah. shaved yeah. off to the top and he's got the yeah. bowl cut and then a year later he takes his hat off and he's got a nice smart you know, John Mills yeah. looking quite good by this point he's got a shirt yeah, on yeah, yeah, and he's like yeah. oh he's, he's smartened up so he has been improved so that the, the, the working class man has been improved by the orbit of the middle class woman who's taken yeah. him under the wing um, yeah right it's a bit like a reverse Pygmalion but I, yeah. I, I would add to that in the sense that I think I think William Mossop's character arc isn't just I think he did. I agree with you. I think I think it is Maggie that almost brings that out of him. But I think he also has a strong character arc himself. I think I think does, yeah. I, I, I think it's unfair to say that it is purely Maggie. I'm not saying you are saying this, but I think it's yeah. I think it would be wrong to say that it is because Maggie has tutored him and educated him that he becomes the person he is. I think he has been freed from yes. the constraints of what he thought his life was going to be. Yeah, and I think that's that was kind of one of the drivers of again when Shaw wrote Pygmalion. I'm not sure who, again when um, was it Harold Brighouse wrote this is yeah. the idea that you could better yourself. So the thing, so um, Mossop is is bettered by but the belief that he can do better. Yeah. The, the chance of education, the use of his skills, but yeah. also again also the um, the uh, the sponsorship of someone who's way up the social chain because we yeah. didn't get the loan from the really posh lady who kind of you know she likes the boots but she didn't have to give him any money or she have to give him the time of day um so when i say this breaks molds it he is allowed to rise up to a certain level yeah. but i was thinking if this was an american play he'd be owning a factory and yeah, like, he would be running for president by the end of the yeah. movie here he's thinking about having a shop in manchester and that's yeah. like whoa willie you're <laughs> yeah. for the stars doing it and, but, and that's where this this is what in this sense of social progression obviously it's very british in the sense of you can yeah, better yourself yeah. to a certain level you can drag yourself up from the people who are in the the, the, the the slums and and you know you want to be up from them but you don't want to knock too hard on the you know the the, the toffs who are giving you the, the, yeah. the wherewithal you will you will better yourself within this narrow middle class band yeah. throughout your go there and that's where your betterment comes from um uh, which yeah. is again it's, it's it's as progressive as it's going to get this is I, I it was written in, it was written in 1915 it's made in 1950 that's yeah. it 
it, but um, it, it's it's certainly progressive within your place. But the fact that Maggie is such a driving agent of this, and not in a comical way, because no, not initially I thought when she was yeah when she was kind of because she runs the show and everything, and she was well, yeah, thought, yeah, at the start. I think she the way yeah. that she forces Mossop into yeah. being her husband. I was wondering yeah. whether she would come across as a bit of a battle axe. Yeah. Right. Or, 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 or again, not being she wouldn't be treated respectfully in the context of the film, but actually she is yeah. treated. respectfully. And the fact, yeah, it's, it's basically Maggie is just it's kind of just embracing the fact that if she doesn't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, no, no one is going to give her any help whatsoever. So she's got to make this happen mm. uh, and she just goes for it. Hell for leather. So I think that's quite good. But um, to the other point you're making, I agree, too. It's the the comedy comes from. Um, Okay, Charles Lawton, he is the larger than life character. He is the mm. Henry Hobson. He's the one getting drunk and making the speeches and <laughs> yeah, throwing his way yeah. around and, and all this kind of stuff. But the agency comes from the much more gentle, sweet story of Maggie and Willie. Yeah. Uh, and Maggie is, is a very interesting character to watch, but not inherently funny. Um, mm. Hobson is a very funny character to watch, but he didn't get anything done. He's, he's, he's sort of regressive. He just drinks <laughs> and, and, yeah. and pushes people down. Yeah, so so he's, he, got these, he's, a, he's, yeah. he's a comic figure, but he isn't particularly interesting, is he? Yeah, whereas she is very interesting but not very comic. Yeah, you're right, and and, and that, but I, I I yeah I I agree, and um, I think that um, John Mills' character probably falls somewhere in between because at the start he he, he does he is quite funny but not in a he doesn't have the comic agency. Things are happening to him and he's bewildered yeah. is in all this kind of stuff, yeah, which yeah. is humorous, I, I suppose. Really, yeah, absolutely. In, so I'm getting wet now, am I? I didn't know I'd be getting wet today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought I thought bug. Gom, by gom, we've done it. You know, it's it's that kind of it's that kind of is the idiot savant, I suppose, really, in, yeah, in yeah. some ways, who 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 in the end becomes, you know, really kind of uh, f- full of agency and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I I agree with you, and but that but that doesn't for me, it doesn't mean that I didn't really enjoy watching the performance of Charles Lawton as Hobson. Um, it's just that I, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that there was another story in the film in many ways, because I think if it was nearly two hours of Charles Lawton harumphing and garumphing and being tyrannical and yeah. being drunk all the time, I would very quickly have got bored. Because um, it's you know he's he's incredible in this in many ways. You know his physical comedy, his facial expressions. I love the bit where he has to eat some wedding cake as, as part of the exchange. <laughs> and, you know, it's the way he eats it. You know, he, he eats it, he goes, like he's going to be sick. Oh, give me some tea. I'll wash it down. It's, it's like, it always goes on too long. But I was laughing my head off. I had tears coming down my eyes. But at the same time, I needed the counterpoint of Maggie and William to just settle my stomach a little bit. And also... <laughs> have me enjoy a film about some characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned about the the progressive nature of the social structure as as far as it can go in this context. And I yeah. think you know you don't know my dad necessarily. Well, you don't know my dad. It's not necessarily that. <laughs> you don't know my dad. Um, and so I, I'm I'm quoting my dad like he's Roger Ebert or something like that. But in effect, I think that is what my dad means by. David Lean being the director he is, showing that there are smaller scale triumphs that happen and he's able to exhibit and explicitly bring that out in the film that makes you want those characters to do well. And it doesn't have to be 100,000 extras in a desert charging 
and it doesn't have to be blowing up a real bridge that he's you know it doesn't have to be any yeah. of that it, it no, I think the, the moment when yeah when maggie and willie sell their first pair of bootlaces for a penny and yeah. it's the first money they've ever made and that's a hell of a moment they're both thinking like we can do and, this we're in yeah. way we've got business and it's like tuppence isn't it they've only sold some bootlaces and the old lady who buys the bootlaces is looking at them like they're really weird because they're both like like <laughs> yeah. you're gonna buy bootlaces yeah. have a bootlace here's a penny she's like yeah. all right they'll like, be off then <laughs> yeah okay yeah it's almost like edges out didn't and i love i love the final scene when maggie talks about the brass ring because because william is almost adamant that that's he, he he's sure that what maggie wants is a better ring and maggie yeah. is adamant that what she doesn't want is a better ring. she needs that ring to ground her to tell her where they've yeah. come from and where they might go yeah. i love that i think that's an absolutely brilliant sequence and that is the heart of the film those two are the heart of the film and maggie i think is the driving force of that heart of the film i could have watched a two-hour film about um maggie and and william but i think it, i have to think i think it needs the comic relief of charles lawton I just not sure it needed quite as much. And that sounds weird because it is Hobson's choice, but he almost isn't. I don't think he's the main character in this. He's a side character that things happen to, but the interesting yeah. stuff is happening slightly off screen almost, isn't it? It's over there where they're trying yeah. to set up their business. They're making a life for themselves. Yeah, I think you're right there. I and mean, it's, it's an, it's an odd imbalance because yeah. Um, not only does Hobson again, not make anything happen because he actually doesn't want to make anything happen. He has no, no Apart from Maggie, he has no real foil. Again, the the, doc, the, the doctor at the end kind of tells him what's what. Yeah. But all his all his friends are like cronies. They're yes men, and they they even insults him and gets nothing back. Um, like the the, the temperance man looks his nose down at Hobson, but does nothing to him. Um, and and yeah, he does, so, yeah, he do so Hobson really just has free reign over everything. You know, he's a he's a pillar of the, of the community yeah. and can happily keep you know glugging back himself uh, and, and mistreating his daughters. And even the the, the other suitors. Are you in fear of him? So they are, it, yeah. It, and I think I would have liked to have seen again that the fact when the doctor is basically, you know, he's doing his best John Laurie of like uh, taking no BS yeah, from Hobson. Yeah. It was really nice because then Hobson could puff more, and yeah. he, he's a lot, he's yeah. a lot better because there's a scene when Hobson is getting drunk and losing his temper, and he insults each of his friends one he at does, a time. Doesn't he? Yeah. And you thought there could be repercussions, but there's not. He just actually he he heads for the door, hits the wall, and has another attempt at the door. Um, yeah. But n- none of his friends slap back at him and i'm thinking we need we need a bit of edge to this we need someone to to, to stand up to him so he also which will puff him up some more yeah because he, he even because he doesn't even really get his comeuppance i mean in the end i suppose i don't necessarily want him to have his comeuppance but yeah. even in the end he, he gets it, he gets to be taken well, he gets taken, taken care, care of by his he? daughter. Yeah, 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 and that's nice, but, isn't but it? You know, it's lovely. Yeah, but he's a silent partner. <laughs> yeah, but he's undermined. He's a, he's a silent partner. He's lost the agency that he, you know, he thought he had. He'll still have his money. And he'll still have his shop, but yeah. he, he knows he's not the top dog anymore. Yeah, he's, he's lost best. that pompousness, which I think is a, it's a good thing. Um, I, I, I'm not sure there's anything wrong with anything that what I'm saying necessarily. It, it, I, I, I just, I don't know. It's a slightly, almost toned down a little bit. I mean, if, if. If I was watching a monologue of Charles Lawton as as Henry Hobson, and it was say a twenty minute monologue, you know, on a stage, it would probably be the best twenty minutes I've ever watched. <laughs> right? It would be like incredibly funny. It would be brilliant. It'd be like you know watching Alan Bennett do a, doing a monologue, but but better, you know, absolutely fundamental. But in the context of a film, um, 
I almost want I kind of wanted him just to be quiet for a little bit. You know, it's the thing, it's the the rub in his eyes. He's suddenly, you know, when he sees the rat, it's like snoring and it's funny, but he goes on for five minutes before before he wakes up even. It's like David Dean loves Charles Lawton in this film. He loves him. (laughs) You think the things that continue a lot, there there is a lot of what I would call theatre business in this movie. (laughs) For a movie, they're, they're getting, yeah. the Seaman Hobson's drunk in the street goes on for a long time, and it is just like yeah. let's have Charles Lawson just do the whole, Charles Lawson do the whole drunk thing. But the yeah. scene when John Mills is getting ready for bed, like uh, the stage directions in in the play, detail out very close detail. Yes, and he's doing all of them. It's like he's, yeah. he's very slowly, and it's like it's amazing how they talk so fast, and yet <laughs> there's that to spare a bit of time to get like these long periods of just silent <laughs> acting in there. And yeah. I'm thinking that is to me. That's theatre acting. It is theatre acting, the screen, isn't it? It's not yeah. movie acting. It's, sta- it's, it's very staged because at the end of that sequence, Maggie opens the door, doesn't she? I'm ready now, Will. Yeah. And that's almost, that's, you'd imagine the lights going down then in, in, in the theatre, wouldn't you? Right. Which you know? it was. It was It was the half, it was the interval. And then New Year's <laughs> yeah. Day, because I think yeah. in New Year's Day, they, they begin New Year's Day. So that, it ends there and then the play begins yeah, on exactly. a year later. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all uh, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Although I say having, sp- they do speak very fast. It's very pathy in that kind of sense. But I will say, Having endured um, the accents in How Green Is My Valley, where they basically give up halfway through and stopped even trying to do Welsh <laughs> yeah. accents, yeah. the Salford accent, I felt, was very good from all concerned. They me, were, um, oh, me too. Apart from John Laurie, who does not deviate <laughs> yeah. from Glasgow. Well, no, well, he uh, could just be um, a Scottish doctor, couldn't he? Exactly. But um, <laughs> but everyone else, oh, absolutely bang on. They were oh, it's very bang on good all the way Salford. through as well, isn't it? It's all the way yeah. they, 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 I mean, there is not a... Because Charles Lawton isn't from the north. John Mills <laughs> is not a northerner, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure no Mancunian. one was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, man, no, it's Salford, not Mancunian. It's very it's, different. Yeah, well, it's, it's Salford as well. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert on the Salford accent or the Mancunian accent, I guess, really. But but from, from, from everything I've read and from what I was hearing in the film, it's spot on all the way through. So there is a um, there is a there is an authenticity to the film, I guess, really. And, you know, um, one of the things I did absolutely love about the film is that it looks beautiful. I know that it's very staged, but the way that the film is shot is fantastic. It's such a crisp black and white cinematography, as you might expect from the time. I think there's lots of long tracking shots that are one take, which I think is really interesting, where David Lean has absolute mastery over moving the camera through the sets. Particularly yeah. the opening sequence, actually, when the camera moves through the Hobson shop and house in one fluid moment and one fluid moment until it goes back to the front door and Hobson opens it and you see his shadow on the floor as the, and, you know you know you, the, you're meeting Henry Hobson. It's got to be dramatic and he stumbles in and then Maggie comes downstairs and that is a brilliant opening sequence. In fact, I think this film has one of the best opening and sequences and final sequences of a film I've seen for a very long time. Um, so there's lots of that in there. Technically, the editing, the structure of the film, I think works really well as well. Um, so there's a lot in there. There's a lot of the technical side of stuff, which you know you might you would expect because David Lean is a master of his trade, right? Um, so there's a lot of that element in there as well, which I think which I think works really well, really well in 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 the context of the film, which is interesting because it is it is very stagey. It doesn't need to. You could see a static camera being in it quite comfortably, but no, the the, the camera moves fluidly throughout throughout everything actually, which I think is really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh what's that thing about Hobson's choice? Any other comments to make on it? Well I think I mean I, I have to say I think I have described 
um, some of the challenges in the film, right? I, 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 for me, though, I did really enjoy this. Um, I think it's another example of, and we found some of this in our Western year, I guess, really, when we were looking at some of the older films and indeed some of the Christmas films that we watched from, from back in the day, that, again, whilst I don't think Hobson's Choice is a perfect film, I think it's it's another example of a film that was made in the 50s that I perhaps had an expectation of what it was going to look and feel like that that um, it it flipped my expectations a little bit in that context. I, I, you know, I thought it was more, pro I think I think it was maybe more progressive than you, but I thought it was quite a progressive film for the time, um, not knowing the stage play in the same way as the film itself. I thought that the, the technical aspects of the film were really, really good. And I obviously have a humour which aligns to a post-war British kind of sensibility because <laughs> I was laughing my head off throughout. I was almost laughing my head off too much. I was tired. I was struggling for breath. <laughs> and I think that took me away from actually what the story was a little bit. But nevertheless, I obviously find that pompous, that pompous deviant, um, that larger-than-life um, um, figure of fun, a that's obviously it, it taps into something in me which i find really really funny really funny um wow. yeah i don't know so I, I i i i loved being in the presence of the characters i i just every time i was in the presence of a character i almost wanted to be in the presence of another character all the time which was a bit weird i suppose really but it reminded me of i don't know when you when you've got a really good book that comes from a couple of different perspectives and when yeah. you're reading it you get into one perspective, didn't you? And you think, oh, this is brilliant. And then the book flips to another perspective. And you think, oh, man, I really wish I was still in that character. That would be really, what, why have we changed characters? And it takes a bit of time. And then you get into the other characters. And, oh, this is brilliant. I want and then it flips around again. And you think, why did it do that? Why can't it just stay with this character? So I felt a little bit like that in the film. But, you know, that, that, yeah. that's, that's, that's how that is. So nothing specifically other than, I don't want to be harsh on it. I thought this was great. My own view, I thought this was great. I just think there's... It's it's maybe not the classic David Lean film that my dad made me believe it would be. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> to offer again, to offer yeah, to offer fair comment, and this this is again where I just come across as the the worst philistine because I know I, I know Charles Lawton's reputation, I know David yeah. Lean's reputation, yeah. and and but I've got to speak my truth. Yes. I did not take to the film. Um, ah, okay. I, I I just didn't. I. I found again, I, though it was well delivered, I didn't like the character of Hobson. I, I thought he was a cruel person, or the fact he was you know, so cruel to Maggie immediately, so dismissive of his daughters, you know, chuckling with his mates uh, mm. about his, his dead wife, and the fact he was just constantly drunk. Um, all of that combined oh, to be. Funny. A, I know, but all that, all that combined to be a character that I wasn't terribly engaged with. And he, yes, he, was, he was also yes. never, never. He had no agency. He wasn't doing anything to outfox people or to yeah. to get one up. He was just in power and abusing the little power he had to make his life easier and yeah. other people's lives worse. And I didn't like that at all. And I think if you talk about you know the, the, what you find funny, I also find again that the, the, the it's a wonderful British stereotype of the, the pompous the pompous character you know who's who's, who's up himself. But I like the characters who are pompous and have absolutely no grounding. It's the the, the Tony Hancocks and the Steptoes who are who are who are doing their best to put on airs but I have absolutely nothing for it whereas he had all you know he had clearly enough money to go around he had you know he had it was the respect of his peers he had you know three daughters were looking after him and he was just he had the seemed power, to be just he? he had the power and he was squandering it and I didn't like yeah. to see that um 
so yeah, as good as maybe he was performing it as, as it should be, but I didn't like that, and therefore his comeuppance. It he wasn't. Have, a he doesn't really get comeuppance, does he? No, but but again, he he gets diddled out of his settlements. He exactly he he. The fact that he, you know, his worst thing that happens is he gets his daughters married to good men. It's like, yeah. really? Yeah, and then, like, has his, and then has his daughter look after him at the end. Yeah, it's like Maggie tricks him into basically doing anything he should do anyway. And he, <laughs> and he has, he's done work, he have to work for it whatsoever. And he just, yeah. you know, so I, I, that was the problem. The Maggie and Willie story, again, I was very much engaged with. I liked the fact that I thought Maggie was a fantastic character. And again, I'm going to say it wasn't that progressive. It was, of course, it was written in 1914. I find it interesting that in 1914, obviously, you're getting women going into factories for the first time, really, yeah, yeah, and doing are. men's work. Yeah. And 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 so it's like, in the, and this, almost they set it, you know, they set it 30 years ago to maybe shield against that. So even in mm. 1914, it was considered yeah. a, a bygone time. Yeah. So Maggie must seems quite a character. You know, the fact that she's running a business and maybe that bit that confused me where willie took charge and paid off the loan was their way of settling the balance the fact that maggie can't be you know, the entrepreneur and everything but um i like that story again i thought it was the, the two characters obviously they're great actors played it really well and i was quite touched by the, them growing together because it was a real kind of like maggie doesn't want a world with romance but she no. she's very, she would like someone to be affectionate towards her. she likes someone to respect her and, and william yeah. does that in the end yeah and, well they, they end up they in that, love don't they they end up in love yeah they, there's a, it's a really gentle and slow love story going on there yeah. didn't begin with a romance but ended mm. up with a, a, a you know a massive kind of a, um respect and affection that turns into a loving marriage and i thought it yeah. was wonderful that was yeah. really nice to see yeah the drawback is it's not funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. and yeah. it's slamming against the other half of the movie that is really trying to be funny and i obviously it, it hits the right note for some people um and and I, I just, that just wrong-footed me, I guess. It was it was two different stories. But I do very much take, again, your dad's point, that it made the microcosm of someone starting a boot business to be yeah. as important as storming the guns at Gallipoli. Or <laughs> yeah, and like, exactly. And, yeah. I, and, I, and you were well in the room, because I was thinking, come on, don't mess this up. you got this now. You know, when Willie's measuring out his shoe leather, and thinking, come yeah, on, you can do this. Yeah, yeah. You, what, you root for them, don't you? Don't mess this yeah. up. This has to happen. Yeah, yeah and it did, and it was, it was all good. Um, so it, it's, I, I, I didn't laugh very much of the movie at all i'm afraid i was engaged with it but yeah. coming away from it i felt a bit hollow because i i think it had passed me by it felt like a humor and a sentiment that i hadn't latched onto oh well uh, i mean i think that, i think that's a fair comment I, I think there's elements of that in in what i feel as well i obviously just find charles lawton's hobson a funnier character. I think for me, it, it's the cake eating scene. Actually, when he eats the cake, it's something that probably isn't that funny I, in a film. I, I but when he ate the no, cake, no, no. I was he, fall, I just fell off my chair. No, I thought I was going to be sick because he did such a good job of like this this person with the DTs trying to stomach a bit of cake. I thought I feel sick now because he was like yeah. it was like his lips were quivering and he was shoving it in. It was like oh, he was chewing. I thought oh my god, this is going to well, be badly. I also thought he was only going to take a little bit of it, but he takes almost a whole of the cake in his mouth and then he goes got me some tea. But if someone was going to force cake on me, I'm taking a big bite as well. It's like I may I may demure, but once it's there, it's like I'm I'm having half the cake. I think demure is not a word I would associate with you, Hugh. <laughs> I've never demured a slice of cake. But I, I was watching that. I was watching. I was watching the scene. Before she mentioned the cake, I saw yeah, the cake. You've the seen the cake. The table. Yeah. I thought, is someone going to have that cake? It's like, <laughs> I hope that cake doesn't. It's like there's a plate of biscuits in a, in a meeting. It's like, is anyone going to have these biscuits? Because I've seen them. And it's, it's like, yeah, exactly. And if they're in there, why aren't you oh, eating yeah. them? They're, they're there to be there, eaten, I'm, right? 
I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm not taking in a word of what's been said in the meeting. They could be announcing mass redundancies, and I think it's <laughs> no one going to eat these biscuits. You come out, I mean, well, that was right, wasn't it? Nice biscuits were nice. I do, I do like a Garibaldi. <laughs> they liquidated the company. Are they? Are they? I didn't catch that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Cheering. What? What's that cardboard box doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there's you know it's a time and a place for a biscuit. Um, I think that um, the the reference to being a reverse Pygmalion is is a really good one as well. And I was going to suggest that that um, listeners perhaps watch My Fair Lady as an example of an alternative film to this. I mean, it's a very yeah. different film, but it's the it is the alternative. It's the opposite, isn't it? I, yeah. I, I, I actually dis- I, I dislike it though. I don't like that story very much. I think that is okay. quite a yeah. I find it quite regressive. I don't know. Yeah, well, you're right here because uh, the because uh, Eliza Doolittle is is bettered as a joke. She's yes. it's, uh, Higgins, is, yeah, I don't like Higgins it. and Pickering do it yeah. do it because they think it's funny to make yeah. her to make her to better. Yeah, and in, in the end, was, in the end, it all works out. But it, it, it starts from a it starts from a, from a point of ridicule. Yeah, and yet, and yet, this is the funny thing. I find Rex Harrison's cold, callous Henry Higgins <laughs> hilarious. I think Did he's you? absolutely. Pr- I love Rex Harrison doing this because uh, he is so pompous and and yeah. So it's it's complete reverse. I I didn't latch yeah. on to to um, Charles Lawton doing Hobson, but Rex Harrison, who is in many ways a far worse character because he's abusing <laughs> his superior position. Yes, I, he I, is. Um, but when I said it was a verse big million, it was basically in the fact that what inspired George Bernard Shaw to write this was the idea that the the, the, the lower classes could be better for education. Could be better. Yeah, in exactly. Fact, there's, there's a much more noble motive happening in Hobson's choice. Um, um, so it's not quite the reverse, but it, it's it's the same. I think the same root is of, of idea is coming from it. That, it um, You're right. Yeah, the, I think the root the root is the right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. The root is the right. They just branch off in different directions, and they have characters in them that either appeal or don't appeal. I guess really. And I, I think for me, My Fair Lady is, is the more regressive and less. Well, it's less it's, appealing yeah. to me. Whereas Hobson's Choice, I think, yeah. is a more progressive and interesting story. And yet I think my fair lady is probably truer because Hobson's mm. choice basically says if you are good at your craft with, you know, with the right backing and hard work, you will better yourself. But um, my fair lady says, if you can talk right, you do the world's <laughs> oyster. And I Maybe think that's more what, cynical. I, I think it's true. I, I'm more cynical. And I think if you're yeah, able to, yeah, yeah. to speak correctly in the world, you will get a lot further than someone who is intelligent and capable. Yes, it might well be. But that that doesn't mean that I can that doesn't mean that I have to feel more satisfied at the end of My Fair Lady to be told the truth. You know, I don't go to the (laughs) cinema to be told the truth. I go to the cinema to to get away from the truth. To, to I, was genuinely, I, was, I was genuinely looking forward to seeing Mossop's Emporium in Manchester. Yeah. Because um, yeah. that, that like, they've got the Salford shop. The hot Salford High Street is where the boot shop currently is and saying, you'll be in the Manchester High the Square next. He goes, I will at that. Next year, yeah. Manchester. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's it's about the same distance as Old Street to, to Copperfield Square. Is It's from Copperfield Square to Manchester Queen Street or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's making the mental leaps in his head. Which, he is, yeah. And, yeah. He, again, and he can read and right now and he can yeah, he can exactly. you know and he and he can stand up for himself that's the thing is like he said i i because basically he goes in there in the final scene and stands up to hobson um kind of play acting the part because maggie says i'm going to call you in and you stand mm. up and don't take any that you're you know you're the you're my husband now and he does it and he he then believes into what he you know, he, he fakes it until he makes it he believes mm. in his, his confidence mm. and gains confidence and then he gains um, confidence and and there's i think there's quite a nice 
counterpoint which is the previous time that he stood up to Hobson was when he was thrashed by Hobson yes. and Hobson doesn't yeah. thrash him this time you know yeah. he's harumphing and garumphing as usual but in the end the final scene is then leaving the house or him leaving the house when he says yeah I'm going to get this contract written up yeah yeah so uh, Hobson, Hobson has no say to thrash anybody he's had an with a giant rat monster <laughs> oh, like, terrifying isn't it God. absolutely terrifying I um, would, what was the props man thinking like did David Lee <laughs> say make me the scariest giant rat you could well, imagine I'm gonna have a look who was why does he have long hands why does the rat have really really long hands so these paws yeah, are like, like costume design costume design yeah John Armstrong well done John Bats Armstrong a sick bastard yeah <laughs> Good, good use of bastard as opposed to bastard <laughs> as well. <laughs> Interestingly, uh, John Armstrong has been the um, costume designer in one, two, three Charles Lawton films. Hobson's Choice, really? The Private Life of Henry VIII, which is another really good film. Uh, I'd heartily recommend that. And Rembrandt. Less I mean, it, it's it's a bigger gap from Hobson to Henry VIII than it is from Copperfield Square. To <laughs> yeah, it is. Although, although, although if I, I'm thinking... <laughs> If there's anyone who can play Henry VIII, it's Charles Lawton. It's got to be Charles Lawton. I mean, what with the Hunchback of Notre Dame and Henry VIII? I mean, they're, oh, no. they're peas from the same pot, aren't they? Oh, apart from Sid James. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Is there anything else for you on Hobson's Choice? I think that you've, you've nicked my recommendation with, with uh, Pygmalion, but I guess that was just, again, my, my Fair Lady was the actual movie they made of it. But no, I think other than that, I'm done with Hobson. Well, I suppose, uh, yeah, me too. I suppose if, if there is another choice, I, I would I would check out some of David Lean's less epic films, right? So I would look at I mean, Great Expectations, Blythe Spirit. I mean, I've, I've seen Blythe Spirit a lot. It's it's good. Those films, I think, are a bit underrated in his canon, really. I, I, I think it's, everybody talks about the epics with David Lean. The epics, they're the ones that come. But Great Expectations is a great film. And um, yeah, Blythe Spirit is a classic as well. So... And I'd probably out. say I'd probably say as advice to myself too is find some more Charles Lawton movies because I clearly haven't yeah. seen the best. And I think Spartacus, notwithstanding, I think he falls down the, the wayside a bit. I think you know he hasn't got like I say he hasn't wasn't in the big the big David Lean films. Um, so unless you're I think looking for him, you're not going to find it. He's, you know he doesn't he doesn't leap yeah. out of his classics. Well, um, I. Th- I, yeah, I mean, the only thing is, I, I suppose if you're saying search out more Charles Lawton films, because I don't think I've seen the best of him, I think Hobson's choice is, is up there, really. So if you're not really keen on him in that, you, you might just, he might be a bit of a Marmite person for you. Oh. But I would say my 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 thing would be watch Witness for the Prosecution, the Billy Wilder okay. film from 1957. It's got Tyrone Power and it's got Marlena Dietrich, Charles Lawton, Elsa Lanchester, and it is absolutely flawless it's a it's an absolute brilliant and i think i think it might be a bit more up your street not less not not least because it is a it's a courtroom drama and a and a a, a kind of noir type thriller which is quite interesting and it is also fair to say that charles lawton plays the comic relief in it in the sense that he's the the lawyer the barrister and all this kind of stuff as well but it's toned down a bit (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it, it is toned down a bit in in that context. Um, so uh, yeah, I I think I think that's a really really good film. Fair enough, and I'll give that a bash. One of the best. Okay then. There we are. That's it, isn't it? Well, we've we've certainly we've we've had our Hobson's choice. You know, it's either do, is it better to have watched the film or not watch it at all? It's not even that's not Hobson's choice, is it? Uh, I don't know. Is it better to? <laughs> the, is it better the choice to have, was. 
the choice would have had to watch the film or there wouldn't be a podcast <laughs> yeah there we go and the, that was my hobson's choice it's better to have watched the film isn't it because at the very least we had a nice little joke about getting fired from work um <laughs> <laughs> didn't we you know so that's good isn't it um Right, well, join us after the break where we'll be giving the scores on the doors and what we're going to be watching in March. Now, it seems to be that I have started uh, the introductions to this, so I'm going to ask you then, therefore, to give us the scores on the doors for Hobson's Choice. Excellent. But that's completely contrary to the style, but we'll do it anyway. Is it? So, uh, it is, yes. It's not really the person Should I go first? Goes first. Well, John, I'll go first um, because, go you know, it's, uh, yeah, I either go first Because it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think in, in the breadth of time we're giving you a score, you'll be scribbling out your score and writing a new one to, to fool me. <laughs> uh, I think, again, I stand by what I said in that I don't think it resonated with me. I could see its merits. I enjoyed some bits of it, but... I don't know. We've we've watched now. We've watched quite a few films again from around the 40s, the 50s, mm. you know, even the 60s around this. And I don't think it's it's the span of time that puts me off. I've seen other films where I prefer the performances and the direction of this, even though I can see where David Dean was going with it. It felt too much to me like a play that had been televised. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting the movie part of it. So I think, and I've seen other plays that have been put on movies and they've done stuff with it. So I think in that and the fact it was in a lot of time, the, very, the actors were very good, but they were given a lot of time and space on the ball. Um, more so than I think they should have had for the sake of a movie. I think it's three floating crumpy heads for me. No more. OK, that's higher than I thought you were going to, get, to be honest. <laughs> but there we go. I was, fully I was working up to that. Um, I think that's fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... I... I I got a lot more out of the film, I think, that, that, than you did. I, I really enjoyed Charles Lawton's Hobson. Um I think it's I think it's a it's a type of acting and it's a piece of acting which is exhausting. Um and I think in the end it it it, it probably just about it just about tipped me over the edge, I think, and I was quite grateful for the quieter probably more interesting certainly more engaging story of Mossop and uh, Maggie which which I think is the real driving heart of the film I think it's right you know that isn't the funny bit of the film I guess for me it didn't need to be funny in fact I would have been quite happy to watch a romantic drama about the growth of of a couple that um were you know almost fighting against the odds a little bit really but but you know Lawton is in it and when he's in it he's loud and um he's rumbunctious um i had a great time with this i'm going to give it four disabonded crombie heads it's not perfect and i don't think it's david lean's best film but i can totally understand where my dad was coming from when he says look at these kinds of films as well as the epics because the best of the best tell you something about the human condition irrespective of the context so four disabonded but four disabonded crombie heads oh very good and so here we are though this, we is, are. this is exciting. this is a bit I look forward to most. It's, it's really? this is like Christmas Eve. This is always Christmas Ooh. Eve, isn't it? Oh, I like to hear that slight little note of disappointment in your your Oh, it always happens. Another, well, another, another what, nostalgia yeah. fest from the eighties. That's called Christmas Day. This <laughs> <laughs> is what we had. We've, we've had you know the 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 greatest French comedy ever made, uh, a David <laughs> Lean classic for the fifties, and you know what our what our is March weekend the birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're saying that for tenth anniversary. Oh, so. Yeah. In March, uh, we'll say no more from it other than the title, we shall be reviewing Action Jackson. Oh, Action Jackson! I tell you what, 
I must have seen that film about 1,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> 1,001 it will be now. Oh, Action Jackson. <laughs> Good, uh, with cracking that. choice, cracking choice, you. Go from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> and with that, as we throw back the last half pint of hard spirits and, uh, and waddle towards the temperance institution, we shall bid you a very happy and a very healthy weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. Well, that's a lovely, that's a lovely suicide note. It's it? about you know make make someone feel as bad as they possibly can. You're not my problem anymore. P.S. Don't go in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I killed myself, I would wait until. A random person who I barely knew did the slightest infraction to me, <laughs> like just gave me a well, cup, you know, half a spoonful of sugar them. in my tea. Yeah, named, named them. them. <laughs> said it was because John put that extra spoonful of sugar in my tea. I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, John, a spoonful of sugar certainly doesn't help the medicine go down. It's <laughs> you're there hanging in your attic. P.S. Don't look in the attic. P.S. <laughs> don't look in your attic, John. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can use none of this in the I can use none of this in the post credit. (laughs) (laughs) Every mug of tea serves up there, his hands will be shaking and be like, What you you use milk, right? Yes, just milk, just milk, okay. (laughs) Is it too hot? Is it I stirred it right? (laughs) Thanks for the tepid tea, John. PS don't look in your attic. You'd put it on the attic door as well, wouldn't you? Like the little, just just so you go. What's that? Don't look at you because you'd you'd want to look. You'd have to look, wouldn't you? You'd be like, what's going on here? Why? How has Hugh got in my house? Hugh, Hugh, what? Why are you hanging there? Hugh, no, <laughs> no, Hugh. Oh my God, Hugh, no. Angela, don't come up here. Don't come up. Keep the boys away. <laughs> Call the police. Hugh's hanged himself. Who's you, John? That's the one I work with. You've never mentioned it before. I barely know him, Angela. I barely know him. I made him a tea. It was, I think it was. I think it was lukewarm. Oh, Angela. John, what have you done? Not again. 